Hello and welcome to this week's Leap of Faith. Well, it's been a week where we lost a friend and colleague with the death of Gay Byrne. And some might mischievously wonder, is he now wiser to his favourite last question asked of every guest on his television series, The Meaning of Life? Suppose it's all true, what the Jays told you in the Crescent and in Belvedere. When you meet that great director general in the sky, what will you say to him? Gay kept his own faith and beliefs from his audience. The reason he explained once in an interview with Ray Darcy. I, I'm a, a, a cuter fox than people give him credit for. <laughs> no, you so Gay Byrne cute. <laughs> in, in, in answer to your question, I would say that I never let on to anybody what my own beliefs are on the basis that it would be unfair to those people who are coming on the programme mm. in the future because if they knew where I'm coming from, they might be tempted to uh, edit or, or censor their own answers. Of course. As as before, but with, before they give me an answer on the programme, they might well say, oh, well, I know where Gay is coming on from this, so I better not offend him or insult him or insult his beliefs. Therefore, I won't say what I really think. And on that basis, then, I don't let anybody else know what my thoughts are. More from Gay later. Well, a listening process has been initiated in the Catholic Diocese of Arden Clonmacnoise. The plan to identify issues ahead of a diocesan assembly later next year. Well, I'm joined now on the line by Bishop Francis Duffy, Bishop of Ireland, Clonmacnoise. Bishop Francis, welcome to the Leap of Faith. What's the purpose of this listening initiative? Thank you, Michael. Well, the purpose of this listening initiative is to listen to people, to listen to people and their views on the Catholic Church and in life in general. Uh, it's a process that we've embarked on. Uh, in a sense, it's um, putting out into the deep. Uh, but I think it's an important process and I have great confidence in it. And uh, we, we've already started our listening, so what we're doing is uh, we have asked parishes to uh, organise focus groups, and these will, four or five people with a, a questioner and a recorder, will focus on issues that they feel are important. And then we've also asked our parish pastoral councils to meet and to consider the Diocese of Ireland Clamac Noise at the moment and look, to the fu- look as it is now and look to the future. And then we've also invited submissions from individuals around the, the diocese and further afield uh, to us. So that, that process is ongoing and almost complete at this stage. Um, so we're looking forward to uh, analysing the results and then uh, presenting them to people. And will the output go further than your diocese or will it remain close to home? Well, this, this output uh, is really for the Diocese of Ireland, which is the Midlands, the area around Longford, which is Arda, and then the area around Athlone, which is in the Clamac uh, area, Clamac uh, Diocese. So uh, it really is for our own diocese. And I'm looking forward, uh, looking forward to the process, which we're now in the middle of, and looking forward then to our assembly in May, and looking forward then to the, the planning that will come from that. Tell me more of that assembly. You're expecting, what, 250 delegates, I believe? Yes, we already have. The delegates are already selected. Each parish will sele- has selected a number of delegates, and maybe in a slightly different uh, mode from other assemblies, we already we have had one meeting of delegates to familiarise themselves with the process, and then our second meeting is coming up at the end of November, where we will present to the delegates what has come from the listening process, so that we can identify what are what are the themes that are emerging, and then in the assembly, decisions will be made about what exact. Uh, maybe four or five priorities that we will focus in and plan to implement in the diocese in the 
five years after that. I'm curious, as, as you've outlined for us, that this is going to be uh, at a diocesan level. So mm-hmm. people putting in, for example, questions in relation to uh, women clergy or changes in practice of, or religious practice obviously won't be on the agenda. Can you give us a flavour then of what might be actually on the agenda? One of the things that certainly is emerging from the, from the focus groups and from the parish pastoral council and the other uh, submissions from individuals is knowledge of faith. Uh, people are talking there about not knowing enough about their faith. They want to learn more about their faith, more about prayer, uh, more about the church. Uh, people calling for uh, catechesis, calling for alpha courses. That certainly has emerged. And also, uh, the courses of shortage of priests and how we're preparing for that. I was interested to read in, in your own diocese, 55 active priests with a, a population of 70,000 uh, Catholics in, in the area. What, what's, the, what's the state of health for you in your diocese? Well, the state of health is uh, that we have we we have 55 priests, uh, <coughs> uh, all are aging. We have no seminarians at all, uh, so that is an ominous sign for the future. We have no no one studying at all, uh, so our age profile is on the higher end. How will you change that? Look for vocations. We still promote. We have a vocations promotion going on. We also launched a promotion of the permanent diaconate a couple of years ago, uh, but we don't, we don't have anyone studying for that either. So. Uh, those are those are issues that we have to face. They're very big issues, and they're issues that we have to face. Bishop Francis Duffy, thank you for joining us on the Leap of Faith. Thank you, Michael. At roughly the same time each year as our own Samhain, Mexicans all around the globe celebrate the Day of the Dead, a holiday that offers the opportunity for people to welcome their departed loved ones into the land of the living. Well, often considered to be the Mexican Halloween, the feast is a blend of pagan and Christian traditions, and it takes place annually on November 1st and 2nd. This year, the Mexican community in Cork celebrated the event with an altar dedicated to one of their best-loved and almost-forgotten painters, Maria Esquerdo. The event was well attended by members of Cork's growing Mexican community, and Noel Sweeney went along to St Peter's Church in the heart of the city to meet them as they gathered to share bread, light candles, and celebrate the visitations of their deceased loved ones. In Mexico, it is said that for two days a year, the souls of those who have passed over return to the land of the living and visit their loved ones. The return of these souls is celebrated each year on November 1st and 2nd. And given that the celebration is so close to our own Samhain, I was intrigued to find out what similarities, if any, there may be between the two traditions. And that celebration, the Day of the Dead. From the Cork Mexican community, Cecilia Gámez. The 2nd of November is one of the Days of the Dead. For Mexico is very important. Uh, we celebrate the 1st and the 2nd of November, the Days of the Dead, in a very colorful way. So for us here in Cork, it was important to bring in the traditions and to show people in Cork what it means for us. That is something that you don't need to be afraid of. It's something that you can be playing with. And it, it's very important for us to bring that tradition. It's as important as... Easter and Christmas. This year you're celebrating a particular artist from Mexico. The Mexican altar or the Mexican offering is set up normally in our houses for one of our relatives who has departed. But in this case, at least in Cork, what we do is to choose a Mexican important person and we build up the altar around that person's work. This year it's around Maria Izquierdo was a Mexican painter in the 20s, 30s, and she was, she's for us a symbol of an empowered woman. She built up a career painting 
uh, in a way that it was breaking the rules of classicism. So uh, we work in different stages because we can have with some people workshops on how to make flowers of paper or um, they come and they put up the different levels of the offering they put the ornaments the way they feel they should go and we bring elements that are related to that person and also we bring food that is traditional in Mexico. You've been living in Ireland a long time and you know you, you would have seen many Halloween celebrations. How do you feel the Irish celebrate the Day of the Dead? Uh, it's funny, I think what I have read it's pretty much to leave offerings outside. It's like to give the sweets to the kids when they knock so you keep souls outside and for us it's the opposite we need to bring them in and what's the thinking behind inviting them in that we want to enjoy those nights with them sacredism well there's a new term for me Brenda Mondragon Toledo a Mexican PhD student living in Cork City enlightened me to the phrase and gave me her take on the day of the dead's history its origins come from the Mesoamerican so it, everything that happened before the Spanish invasion. So uh, it's like the idea of the dead coming back from from then, uh, which comes like from the idea of the Mictlan, which is like the underworld, like the world of the dead. And they have like it's the idea that they come back every like on the end of November, which is also related to the end of the agriculture circle. How is Mexican paganism integrated into the modern day Catholicism in Mexico? Yeah, so it, it's a big thing. It's it's actually in the studies, in uh, social sciences studies, there, it's known as syncretism, which is like the mix of like the paganism and the Catholicism. Well, it's actually like the meaning of like mixing in religions, but in Mexico would be mainly like Catholicism with um, all pre-Hispanic aspects. The Day of the Dead is perhaps a day when you can really see these traditions integrated. Yeah, yeah, you can see like it's like very Mexican. It's like a thing that only happens in Mexico and you can really see like how there's like still this kind of like belief that it's not really Christian about death but it's more like kind of mixed into like the, the like the Mesoamerican beliefs of death. And is there anybody that you're remembering today? Uh, yeah, like in like I play my home, like we always put it for like my grandmother, my grandparents, uh, my aunt, uh, some friends and like so yeah, there's always like a remembering of like your family that is like has passed away. And I suppose it must be comforting, really, to celebrate the dead in that way, as opposed to you know some religions maybe where it's where they're kind of remembered in in the sense that they're gone. Whereas this celebration seems to bring them back into into the everyday life. So what what does that feel like? Uh, it's very nice. It's kind of like very. It's like it's very solemn like activity maybe, but it's also like remembering like about their lives and so it's kind of a big celebration. So you can see like in towns in Mexico they bring like in music and food, and it's like about sharing with your friends and your family like that time, and like remembering those people that are not with you anymore, but like still having them in mind every like no and beginning of November. For a bit more on the similarities, perhaps from an Irish perspective, UCC's Professor Nuala Finnegan 
who's also director of Mexican Studies. There are a number of connections, but fundamentally Samhain, which is the pagan festival um, celebrated at this time of year, was an ancient Gaelic festival celebrating the end of the harvest, and it was about ushering in, I suppose, the dark side of the year. Um, so in that sense, it has no relationship with Christianity, but it merges later, obviously, with you know traditions around All Saints and All Souls Days. Whereas the Day of the Dead is very much syncretic, in other words, that it, it blends both indigenous beliefs and Christian beliefs at the same time. Yeah. So it draws on the very rich kind of indigenous traditions of communicating with um, souls in the afterlife, um, facilitating access to those people during these days, along with the Christian traditions, which was about honouring the dead. So I think they're the kind of two fundamental differences that I would see, that one is purely, uh, in, in some ways, emphatically non-Christian, the Samhain event, whereas the Day of the Dead is a mixture of both. Pan de Muerto, Bread of the Dead. Some gorgeous bread here, Cecilia, and, and everyone uh, about to enjoy some. Yeah, it is, this is bread that we especially bake for the day. It's called pan de muerto. And the shape is very special because it's like a soil on top of the grave. And it has four thin pieces that simulate to be bones. And on top of them, there's a skull. I think it sounds worse than it looks. <laughs> And depends on where it comes from. It can be um, it can be baked with aniseed or with orange blossom essence. So, and everyone here uh, very much enjoying eating the bread at the minute. So I leave you all at it and enjoy. Thanks. Feliz Dia de Muertos. Cecilia Gomez ending that report from Noel Sweeney. Well, a short time ago, the Bishop of Waterford and Lismore, in a letter to schools in his diocese, discouraged the practice of yoga and mindfulness as not being of Christian origin. Bishop Fonzie Cullinan's comments generated a great deal of interest and engagement, including on RTE's Liveline. Talk to Joe on 1850 715 815. And Joe at RTE.ie. The phones are going mad, apparently, over yoga. People just relax for a few minutes. Paddy, good afternoon. Hello, Joe. Five one. Your point, please, Paddy. You see, the thing is, if you don't practice your faith and you don't keep your eye on God, you're, you'll drift into all these other things. See, most of the people that are chasing yoga and, and all these other uh, New Age modalities are baptised Catholics that have turned away from their faith. And that's the problem, you see. Then they're rebelling against it because they won't get their lives in order with Jesus. And what will happen then? What will happen to those who turn away from their faith having been baptised a Catholic and go to yoga classes on a Tuesday morning? What will happen to them? Well, you see, they're the taking their Christ. whole focus away from God well, and what, what, they're what, what, themselves up is there, to other spirits. Is there a, punish, like, see, is there a punishment for this? Yoga is a Hindu thing, so it's based on false gods. Like, So that's what the first commandment and the second so commandment So is there a punishment you. if you go to a yoga class? Well, you see, you're risking your eternal soul. You see, you're talking about so your you soul. could be you could be damned. You could go to hell. Yeah, you see, the okay. thing about it is, you're opening yourself up to all sorts of demons, if you like, because you're going into areas that you don't know anything about. Okay. And like, like, just to put it in historical. Yeah, okay, context, no, Paddy, I've, I've I mean, given you. Pla- I've given you. I, I, okay, St. Patrick. Okay. And he uh, converted us, like, and now we're drifting back to paganism. As, a, as an answer. So and is yoga, an is, is yoga it can never be an okay. answer. Well, to talk about this more, I'm joined now on the line from Boston 
by Paulist father Tom Ryan, who's the author of many books, including Prayer of Heart and Body, Meditation and Yoga in Christian Spiritual Practice, and a DVD on yoga prayer. Tom, welcome to The Leap of Faith. Can I go straight to the point that engage many people in this discussion? Is the practice of yoga contrary, or indeed possibly beneficial, to Catholic practices and beliefs? Well, I think the first thing we need to do, Michael, is to recognize that there are two primarily different forms of practice of yoga in the Western world today. The first, I think, would be contemporary yoga, which is all about fitness and using yoga as a form of exercise. And through it, people strengthen their muscles, increase the flexibility, extend their range of motion, improve their posture, balance, coordination, and so forth, all of which are benefits uh, for any practitioner. But the second form of yoga in practice uh, is traditional yoga, and that is wholly preoccupied with the spiritual. Uh, Traditional yoga is a systematic program for peaceful living with sharpened self-awareness. And one of the significant contributions it makes on a spiritual level is that it directly addresses two of the greatest obstacles in prayer today, namely the restless mind and the restless body. And I think that's part of its attraction for Westerners. It gives fidgety activists something to do that is actually very peaceful and calming. Many people may have been um, a little bit concerned about it taking people away from what they would see as as a true faith practice, and that is the idea of prayer directly to Jesus and to God, rather than necessarily through uh, any other form of practice. In traditional yoga, the whole practice of postures, breathing, relaxation is aimed at the form of prayer which has been recovered since the 1970s onward in the Western world and throughout and is known as Christian meditation as it was termed by Father John Main, a British monk at Ealing Abbey in England who then uh, moved to Montreal and established uh, the International Center for Christian Meditation there. Christians throughout the world are engaging in those practices, and they are finding the practice of yoga very helpful in terms of calming the body, stilling the mind, so that they can enter precisely into utter focused attention on Jesus, on the Father, on the Holy Spirit, and just say their prayer word or phrase with love and faith and deepen their own sense of relationship with God as it is revealed to us in Christian tradition. I'm interested in your work as director of the Paulist Office for Ecumenical and Interfaith Relations. That must bring you into contact, obviously, with other faiths, including, I presume, Buddhist and Hindu uh, religions. Uh, Is there anything to learn from them? Indeed, there is. Uh, I would say, uh, of the many misconceptions about yoga today, Um, the first prize would go to the misconception, I think, that yoga is a religion, and the second prize would go to yoga as necessarily anchored in the Hindu religion. And uh, yoga scholars much more knowledgeable than I, such as Georg Feuerstein, who's founder and director of the Yoga Research Center in California and editor of Yoga World Newsletter, are very clear in asserting that yoga is not a religion, nor is it necessarily tied to Hindu cultural expressions or even Hindu philosophical understandings. In fact, 
it was three different cultures, Hinduism, Jainism, and Buddhism, who contributed significantly to yoga. And there's much wisdom in their research and reflection, and we want to be open to what is the value in every culture and tradition. As Nosa Itati says, Catholic Church affirms whatever is of truth and value in other religious traditions. So while, yes, yoga has an Eastern origin, it transcends both cultural and geographical boundaries that initially supported it. It's not necessarily tied to Hindu cultural expressions or even Hindu philosophical understandings. And thus, thus it's become a valued practice or instrument in the lives of people from all religions or none. Father Tom, when did you come to the practice yourself? Well, I went on a sabbatical study period when I was the director of the National Canadian Center for Ecumenism. And I had been working with other Christian denominations for 10 years, and I was aware that our North American continent was becoming more and more multi-religious socially, and that I needed to get a better understanding of uh, other world uh, religions. So after the World Council of Churches General Assembly that uh, in 2000 in Australia, I decided to take a three-month sabbatical and go to India. And the first place I went to was the Shivananda Ashram, uh, founded by the Benedictine monk, uh, who was a very uh, wonderful uh, teacher there. And uh, in meditating every day in their ashram, they preceded the period of meditation with a session of yoga. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have been thinking for years now that if I ever get a chance to try this on, I'll be happy to have the opportunity to do so. Because um, I had heard that it helped calm the body and quiet the mind and help one meditate better. And within a few practice days, I just came to the awareness that, my goodness, there is a very real improvement here in focus of my mind, the quietness of my body, and so forth. After this stretching and relaxation and contraction of the muscles with deep breathing, which releases the tension and stress uh, contained in our little embodied modules, and leaves us ready to simply sit in quiet, contemplative prayer. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. When I eventually came back, uh, I had found the practice to be so helpful in my own Christian meditation practice, in supporting it and preparing me for it, that I decided to become a yoga instructor myself. Finally, Father Tom, did you meet any resistance from your fellow clerics when you came back as a, as a yoga teacher and indeed professing the idea that yoga would help with prayer? No, because I made it very clear that... Again, what we need to do here is to work with this practice in a way that accords with our own faith understanding. And yoga is wide open to people doing that. As we noted earlier on in our conversation here, it is not a religion. It is a spiritual practice in traditional yoga, particularly, that was created precisely to help people meditate better.
that really is uh, where the practice of yoga led me to simply deepen my practice of meditation. But yoga continues to be for me a daily prayer practice that precedes my period of quiet sitting in meditation each morning. Father Tom Ryan, thank you for joining us on the line from Boston tonight. Thank you, Michael. Finally, today is a day when our colleague Gay Byrne was laid to rest following a funeral mass in the Pro-Cathedral in Dublin. The chief celebrant was Father Leonard Maloney, SJ, with prayers led by Archbishop Dermot Martin. The Archbishop noted that Gay was a genuinely religious man who regularly attended the celebration of Mass and was very attached to a convent of enclosed nuns in Simmons Court Road in Dublin. Gay's involvement in the television series The Meaning of Life, which ran since 2009 with over 78 episodes, saw his unique style, resulting in guests sharing insights often never heard before. You could call it famous last words, but the final question I always ask in the meaning of life has become a favourite with viewers. My hunch is that that's because people ask themselves, how would I answer that? So, how would you answer the question? Suppose it's all true and you find yourself one day at the pearly gates and you meet God. What would you say to God? I have a question for God, and the question will be, if it was so important for us to believe in you, why did you make it so bloody difficult? But ask him, was he real? (laughs) I'd say, why did you allow the tsunami to happen? Why do you do cruel things? Why do you cause wars? Why do you, you know, I'd have a lot of questions for him. Do you mean cause or allow? Cause. If he's God, he's causing it. I look around a bit and I think of saying, where am I? And then, you're having me on. I don't believe this. (laughs) But I'll take it if it's there. God, you're a surprise. That's one. The second thing is, never mind for that beard. The third thing, and I think this is the one when I when I think about it, is the gates open, there he is, and I go, you are so disappointing. How are you? <laughs> we need a bit more than that, and so will God, I can promise you. I'm home. No, I don't know. How are you? What? You hope to think that he's very personable. I don't know. Depends on who you meet. It's God. I'd say thanks very much. Voices there from Father Peter McFerry, Brenda Fricker, Terry Wogan, Bob Geldof, Bono and Imelda May. From our producer Sheila O'Callaghan and me Michael Cummins, good night.